This is Shine On PolicyCast, the podcast that brings you EU policy updates relevant to solar. I'm your host, Bethany. Let's get started. Okay, so we're back at PolicyCast with actually our first guest from PolicyCast returning almost a year later. Welcome back, Dries. Thank you, I'm honoured. Uh, so Dries is our policy director here at Solar Power Europe. And uh, this season, season three, is all about election year. Um, I think half of the world's population will vote in elections this year, and one of the big ones is the European elections. Um, so today we're going to talk about how that relates to solar. So a new segment on PolicyCast for season three is um, I'm inviting my guests to bring a prop uh, and I have to guess its relevance to and significance to what we're going to talk about today. Um, so Dries uh, is very game and has brought a prop uh, and uh, maybe you can show it to the camera and then uh, describe it for the viewers at home. Indeed, indeed. This is a prop. Eh? So for the non-English natives, a prop is basically a thing, right? <laughs> yes. So what I have here in my hands is a, a nice shiny object, a shiny rock. It looks like it could come from some kind of a planet far away. Uh, it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is kind of gray metallic color and uh, and, uh, and and uh, it shines uh, in, in different in different directions so this is this is really cool actually and uh, we have some of that in the office here um, um, it is it is basically polysilicon yeah? okay. so this is a high purity polysilicon this is the processed material mm-hmm. that is the starting point of uh, solar photovoltaic so technology that's yeah. important to accelerating deployment of solar and solar in elections because this is the stuff that we need to yeah. make it happen. Yeah. This so is the, the raw ingredient. Voilà. So you have quartz, that's the actual raw material. Mm-hmm. And then you process this into uh, a, a stone, a shiny rock like this, silicon. a shiny high purity mm-hmm. uh, polysilicon uh, uh, rock, basically. And that is what you then cut into cells mm-hmm. that do the magic of photovoltaism mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and generate electricity. So so it's it's really cool. Uh, I actually took one uh, home uh, because I had an, uh, uh, I did a little uh, presentation to uh, to my daughter in mm. uh, school, she's 10 years old, uh, to her class because there's like an, uh, uh, a recurrent weekly uh, moment for a parent to talk about their work. Uh, uh, nice. And certainly the shiny rock uh, that, that I said was straight from, from Mars uh, caught most of the attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose it's handier than trying to bring in an actual solar panel. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, uh, but it's probably also important to say that so this is uh, this is produced in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. It's a European product, uh, the, the actual the actual high purity polysilicon. Uh, but then of course the, the next steps in the in the in the in the supply in the in the chain and production chain for for a solar module uh, don't happen that mm. much in Europe. Yeah? So a lot of these rocks are being sent to China That's to then pull ingots. Create a wafer and then cut it into cells. And these cells you put on a on a panel, and that's then a solar module. Uh, simply put, um, some of these cells do come back to Europe, so we have some module assembly then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the next step in the in the value chain after polysilicon, so the the pooling of the ingots mm-hmm. and the wafers, is hardly present in Europe, mm-hmm. and it is such an essential step in Europe's resilience and and Europe's role in the supply chain of solar. Uh, so we have been fighting uh, and i think that's an appropriate word almost uh, really really hammering very hard on the, on the need for a really strong robust industrial strategy for solar mm-hmm. and and to create some some scale big 
yeah because uh, you need size yeah. you need scale to, to some champions yeah. uh, especially on those parts of the of the supply chain where we are the weakest like uh, the ingots and wafers so the step after this rock uh, and that will be if we manage to do that then europe can uh, have its place in the global soil supply chain great well thanks for bringing it in i think it uh, flows quite nicely into deployment because uh before we talk about deployment we talk about where we get our solar panels from so yeah Dries, what does solar have to do with the eu elections why is it important to talk about solar right now and why should policymakers care about it it's an important election uh, and elections about are about democracy uh, we celebrate democracy and uh, and our ability to vote uh, for the leaders uh, and and that's uh, it's important to remind us how what a, what a situation that is that's a luxury mm. we shouldn't take for granted yeah? and solar is important because solar is also about democracy it's a very versatile technology it can do a lot of things for a lot of different people uh, and i think it's really important in the in the times that we are to recreate a connection between the political level and uh, the citizens, the people, uh, and solar plays its part in there. Yeah? There's, of course, a lot of important priority topics. There's no doubt about it. But solar is one of those technologies that can connect to people and connect people to a bigger agenda, mm-hmm. the bigger European agenda on the Green Deal, uh, for instance, uh, also about our security, uh, our prosperity. So I think solar has a r- very good story to, say, to tell about how democracy and democratization can um, be accelerated. And to that end, we at Solar Power Europe have our manifesto. Um, And I'll give you a minute maybe to to pitch to our listeners and viewers uh, exactly what the manifesto is. Indeed. And uh, I happen to have a copy just right here next to me on the table. (laughs) What a coincidence. So this is indeed the Solar for Europe manifesto. And the first page is indeed about telling that story of what solar does for Europe. It is it it ticks a lot of boxes. Uh, Solar helps with the climate crisis. Solar helps with our uh, energy crisis and our uh, competitiveness crisis, which we also have in terms of industry and the risk of deindustrialization, which is real in Europe. And solar also works for nature. And I think that's also important. Like we can restore nature and have solar plates part in that, uh, help, uh, for example, uh, degradation of soils that can be reversed if you put solar on it. Also, solar helps for agriculture because mm-hmm. that's another constituency that really needs support. Mm-hmm. So we can connect and pl- do our bits in most of the important topics of the election. And that's described in this manifesto. And then, of course, we have our asks on the other side. Well, perfect that you bring that up, because uh, if you'd like to check out our manifesto, you can find it on our website, solarpowereurope.org. But um, then what are our asks? I mean, accelerating solar deployment is uh, is kind of really up there in the manifesto. Uh, and what do we need to see from policymakers to, to make that happen then? Yeah, so the last five years have been a lot about the 2030 policy framework, mm-hmm. uh, the Green Deal, the Fit for 55 package. Uh, that has been an, uh, an amazing piece, an amazing accomplishment mm-hmm. uh, of European leaders and, and all stakeholders, in, stakeholders involved. This is now complete or about to be completed. And it is, of course, then also fair that 
what we say is okay now focus on delivering that mm -hmm. yeah? uh, this is an agenda that has been developed very democratically uh, uh, nobody has imposed anything on anybody mm -hmm. this is this was agreed by all uh, representatives of the european citizens uh, over the last five years after uh, discussions and intense discussions uh, which is necessary so now it is there it is only fair and it's uh, and it's very important to now also make sure that this is landing on the ground and we see those facts changing and delivering implementation on the ground is not a passive mm. um uh, and it's not a passive um, um uh, thing yeah, it's actually important that the european commission and the european institutions understand how much they can influence good delivery in the member states for example and that's what we focus on in the manifesto quite a lot by making sure that all of the European funds and the financing tools are aligned with delivering on those climate and energy objectives. There should be no more inconsistencies mm -hmm. in the direction of travel that funding awards mm -hmm. for member states. Um, no more confusion about fossil fuel investments. There should be no more, there should not be one euro going into further fossil fuel infrastructure as of now in the next commission. And that really needs to be focused on the priorities of the clean energy transition. And you mentioned 2030 there, and um, that's very much our day-to-day. -day. It's 2030 targets, trying to get their manufacturing targets, deployment targets. Um, but of course, the discussion's already now looking towards 2040, and uh, we have the Commission's uh, climate targets and, and goals pitch for, for 2040. Um, and what's that looking like for solar, and, and what more do we maybe want to see Um that's when I love the European Commission, the European Union mostly, uh, is that uh, uh, literally um, 20 days after concluding uh, a 2030 package, the mines are going to 2040. And I'm serious. Mm. Thank God we have that forward looking uh, intergovernmental level, mm -hmm. uh, supranational level, because it really is ahead of the curve and it steers conversations on time uh, to make sure that we have everything in place for the 2040 investment cycle. Because this is about investment cycles. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think about uh, climate neutrality in 2050, depending of course on the sector, but it's like two, three, four investment cycles, mm -hmm. certainly not more. Yeah. So it's really not a luxury to already now talk about what the ambition should be for 2040 uh, in a day, in a decade and a half from now. Um, so we certainly welcome that. So we very much welcome just the mere fact that we're having this discussion, because that's what gives investors certainty that this journey continues. Uh, we have a 2030 package that's all crystal clear. We will continue towards 2040. This is a political priority and we are preparing for that. Uh, so that basic message is, is, of, is of utmost importance. Great. Um, and, and with regards to solar specifically and maybe renewables and electrification, uh, are we seeing a good direction for travel then already from the Commission for 2040? Well, absolutely. Yeah. So, so we really welcome that communication. Uh, it's of course, yeah, always based on just a handful of scenarios. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's important that we have three options now, um, mm -hmm. uh, with, with the 90% uh, emission reduction target as a central scenario. Mm -hmm. We do believe that in the communication, if, if you take a moment to read it, there's very good arguments to say like, yeah, the most secure, the most, uh, sensible, cost effective, mm -hmm. and, and, and also forward looking in terms of new industrial opportunities and economic opportunities is of course a scenario that is above 90%. Mm -hmm. So that would be our preferred one. Uh, but in all of the scenarios, solar plays an incredibly important role. Um, to some extent, we always say, and I think it's also something that we need to be, that we are very open about to the, to the European Commission. 
it's still underestimated solar. Mm -hmm. um, it is, um, it's a bit of a chronic uh, um, uh, uh, disease is a <laughs> hard word. Yeah. Uh, but it's, a, it's, a, there's a chronic underestimation of solar uh, across a lot of modeling tools. Mm -hmm. uh, and here I'm coming to the, to the, to the core of, of the message that we also give to the commission. Um, it is now time to improve the modeling capacity of the European Commission for uh, uh, projections and, and, and energy systems and all economy uh, system uh, modeling because we, are, we keep doing it with more or less the same tools as we did the very first 2020 modeling in 2008. Yeah? And yeah. Bethany, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> I remember that conversation. Oof, yeah, oof. Yeah. I won't tell you how old I was in 2008. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't. Uh, but just to, um, uh, to add one more point on that, uh, uh, on that topic, it is time for the European Union mm. and, and the Commission in particular to develop its own European energy agency. It's incredible we don't have that. Yeah. The US has that the United States. It's called the Energy Intelligence Agency. It's just a professional agency who has modeling capacity, top-notch. They know how to run thousands of scenarios because in the end, there is thousands of innovation that all need to be uh, modeled and captured with sensitivities on some of the main models. We need to know in much more detail what the energy transition may look like under certain assumptions. It cannot be three scenarios leading to three different greenhouse gas emission targets, mm -hmm. and that then provides an analytical basis for a debate. No. yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's a core question we have. Yeah. And how would such an agency relate to the work of DGNR, for example, or whatever its equivalent would be in the next commission? Yep, that could be perfectly uh, integrated in that. And we know that the commission wants to do that. Yeah? Yeah. They've invested in modeling capacity. It's not that nothing happened mm -hmm. since 2008. <laughs> uh, and I'm still curious to know where you were at the time, Bethany. But, uh, Reeling uh, from the financial crash. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so they have invested in new software tools uh, like Metis, and uh, mm -hmm. I, won't, uh, I will spare you the details. Uh, but, but there is quite a lot of, spa of space for further improvements and for professionalizing this. Yeah. It's also sends a political and investment signal that you know we're really serious about this. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I cannot imagine anybody would be against that. If you yeah. see what I mean. Uh, Next yeah. logical step in yeah. Europe's energy journey. Um, so then, to bring us back from 2040 and uh, what that might look like uh, to the present day and in the run-up to elections, um, you're a proud Belgian. <laughs> I am. Uh, so you'll be voting in the elections uh, in springtime? I will be voting uh, also for the simple reason uh, <laughs> uh, that, that my country uh, mandates me. So it's a voting duty uh, in Belgium. <laughs> I would vote anyway, of course, uh, but we have voting duty. And, and, and that's maybe the topic for another podcast. But uh, I'm a very, very strong supporter of voting duty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Society has duties. Yeah? Yeah. We don't just live in rights only worlds mm -hmm. nobody does yeah and you know education is mandatory yeah voting should so be as well so it's a very simple uh, uh yeah wh wh which can belgians ask. can vote in the elections so all the bell in the european elections uh, yeah yeah because yeah, we have a, a yeah, uh, yeah belgium a combination we'll, we'll, we'll of need another podcast to talk about all yeah. of the different elections that belgium yeah, has yeah. but so, european elections <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll have three uh ballots uh to Oof. to yeah yeah at, uh, and that's only in june and then the municipalities later this year yeah so democracy uh, yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> um um so Everybody who, uh, so every Belgian citizen, of mm -hmm. course, uh, above 18 years old. Uh, but if you're 16, you can also register uh, okay. to vote for the European elections, not for the oh, national for ones one. uh, or the regional ones. Um, 
And I think for the European elections, also uh, residents in Belgium of more than five years, so mm -hmm. it's uh, it uh, they can also they can also register to vote in Belgium. And quick trivia question: Do you know how many MEPs Belgium has? I mean, it's difficult because they're different regions, but no, no, it's straightforward. We do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be charitable in case you yeah, don't yeah, get it. <laughs> not everything is complex. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I think it's 22 yeah, or something. Yeah, yes, 22. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we lost a couple after the Brexit reshuffling, and uh, surely you should have got some of ours. Yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, I can, and, <laughs> and it was in the news because I think the Netherlands got one more, uh, and that was like, uh, yeah, it reminded us of. Football games uh, <laughs> okay. uh, uh, that we reopening old wounds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, that uh, that brings us to the end of today's policy guest. Um, and thanks so much for your insights, Strace, both on uh, on twenty forty elections and uh, how to vote in Belgium. Um, and thanks. Uh, hope to see you in policy guests again soon. Thank you, Bethany. Thanks for listening to today's episode. This podcast is brought to you by Solar Power Europe. If you don't want to miss our next episode, make sure to subscribe and turn on notifications. Shine on. <laughs>